musicians for helping us do Easter. <laughs> for a minute there, this old Baptist was almost dancing. <laughs> Don't hold your breath waiting for it. I shifted the weight a little bit. Thank you for coming and helping us do Easter. What a great day. The order of service in the bulletin this morning begins with a quotation from a saint. Not St. Paul, or St. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or St. John, any of those saints that you might expect to hear quoted on Easter. But a, a less known character, St. Godric. And what a character he was. He lived in Britain in the 12th century, and for the first few decades of his life, he was anything but a saint. He was a hard-drinking, hard-fighting, hard-living scoundrel, a notorious sinner, really. One part biblical personage, nine parts the invention of novelist Frederick Beekner, Godric wenched, pirated, fought, took advantage of pilgrims en route to holy sites. He built them out of their money, robbing them sometimes outright, sometimes peddling as martyrs' garments, rags splattered with cat blood. Till on one of those pilgrimages, Godric was converted and went on to live more than a hundred years with a widespread reputation as a holy man. His touch, it was said, brought healing to otherwise unhealable people. Uh, every day of his life as a hermit and saint, he bathed in the river Ware, sometimes having to chop holes in the ice first to mortify the flesh as part of his reputation as a holy man. Godric had made and lost a fortune. He had made and lost some colorful, larger-than-life friends. He lost his eyesight. He lost his mobility. He lost his control of bodily functions. And yet, toward the end, he said... What's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. The first time I read those words, I had them memorized. I, I didn't work at committing them to memory. They just burned themselves into my memory. And not only, I think, because Frederick Beekner is a superb writer and composed a, a memorable sentence, but because I've lived long enough to believe, or at least want to believe, that what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. Anyone who's lived more than a couple of decades has experienced loss. I think of a single mom who lost her tax refund because of identity theft. I think of a couple in Ocean City, New Jersey, whose retirement dreams 
were torpedoed by the wife's deteriorating health, and the two of them were confined 24-7 to their tiny little cottage. I think of a couple who lost an adult daughter to a rare and incurable disease, and then seven years later lost a son to the same disease. I think of a man in my first church, a man who was an ex excellent uh, basketball player. In fact, he was headed toward the NBA until he fell and broke both wrists. And they did not heal properly. They did not heal in time. And the window of opportunity for this career closed. All of his hopes lost. I think of a woman whose house burned down. The TV camera caught her red eyes, her drawn face with the smoldering ruins in the background. And she said to the reporter, everything I have worked for was in that house. And I think of you, friends and, and guests. You've lost, haven't you? Do you believe? Or would you at least like to believe that what's lost is nothing to what's found? I don't mean, wouldn't it be nice to have a rosy, sunny personality? Like those people who always see the cup as half full. Who on gloomy days sing, the sun will come out tomorrow. No, I mean, I mean what Godric meant. I mean an outlook on life where you can take seriously all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the grief, all of the loss, and all of it together does not amount to anything on the scales compared to what's found. What is found? <laughs> well, for Godric, God. Oh, St. Godric found mercy and grace, forgiveness of sins, a clear conscience, hope of eternal life. It's a package deal. But what Godric found was God. And for Godric, that was enough. Now, granted, he's a figure in a novel. But real historical personages about whom we know more than the snippets the historians can tell us about this 12th century British saint have said the same thing. David, an Old Testament saint, knew loss. He lost his best friend. He lost his wife. He lost his reputation. He lost his throne. He lost three sons. And yet David could write, Whom have I in heaven but you. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And St. Paul said, for Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them rubbish if only I can have Christ. Can you say that? What's lost is nothing to what's found. If it was your house smoldering in ruins, could you say anything better than everything I worked for was in that house? <laughs> Maybe something like, 
There are some family mementos I'm going to miss, but I have a treasure in heaven that no fire can take away from me. If it was your NBA hopes that were dashed, could you maybe say something like, well, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and I know he holds my hand. Could you say, what's lost is nothing to what's found? And before you answer too confidently, make sure that your calculations include the big one, the big loss. But by which I mean, of course, death. We spend our whole lives losing this, that, or another thing. And then we lose, apparently, everything. We die. And for St. Paul, this was huge. This, this makes all the difference. Because, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, if death is the end... Well, we may as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. Why forfeit the chance to grab whatever gusto these 60, 70, or 80 years offer if when we die, there's nothing more? Did you hear in the text, as Dale read it a few minutes ago, if for this life only we have hope, we are to be pitied? See, much of what Paul gave up, he gave up willingly so that he could have Christ and his kingdom and make them a priority. And he did so with the hope that Christ is an ever-living Lord and Christ's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom in which Paul would play a part. But if death is final, how pathetic how pitiable, how tragic to miss what this life has to offer. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. But, the text goes on, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits very beginning of the harvest that points toward a full, greater harvest yet to come. Christ was raised never to die again, and so will we be. Jesus lives, and so shall I. Death, thy sting, is gone forever, says an old hymn. And says St. Godric, all the death that ever was set next to life, would scarcely fill a cup. Or, to change the metaphor, imagine that I had a 100-foot tape measure here extending out into the lobby and let the first 16th of an inch represent your lifetime. Then imagine the next 15 16ths and the next 11 inches, and the next 99 feet, and then imagine that the measure of life goes on down Bethel Boulevard and past Waukegan 
and past Texas and past South America and know that eternal life is just beginning. All the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. Let me tell you a little bit more about my friend whose NBA career hopes were shattered. The loss of that opportunity was not Terry LaRue's greatest loss. One day, he got a call while at work from the preschool where his four-year-old had been playing on the playground equipment. On one of those rope contraptions, like a big fishnet that kids can walk on and balance, but this little boy had somehow fallen through, and before the staff realized what had happened, he choked to death. The LaRue's had no hope of eternal life. They had no church, no religious background, no interest in spiritual things, but they called our church for funeral arrangements just because we were the closest church to where they lived. And the pastor, my predecessor, not only agreed to do the funeral, but shared the good news of the gospel and how it was possible for mom and dad to know that someday they could see their little boy again and enjoy eternal life with this one they had lost. And they gave their hearts and souls to Jesus and accepted God's gracious gift of eternal life and embraced the hope of eternal life. Godric lived to be 105. That's not just in the novel. That really happened. Somebody in his later years blessed him. May you live to see another 100 years. Godric said, I probably deserve it, but God would never be that cruel. <laughs> and he lost a lot in those later years. But it wasn't more of this life of loss that he wanted, that he longed for. But life with a capital L, the life that Jesus bought on Good Friday and secured on Easter... And so Godric, on his dying day, dipped one last time into the icy river where he had bathed for 60 years, and closed his eyes, and before the darkness fell, said, All's lost. All's found. Reunion with loved ones. Perfect health. Freedom forevermore from temptation. Safe neighborhoods. The opportunity to ask Jesus and other Bible characters questions. And seeing the face of God. Poet John Donne got it right. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. 
death, thou shalt die. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, how grateful I am that the truths I've had the privilege of speaking this morning come not just from novelists and poets, but from your word. The gospel narratives of Christ's Easter victory, the great resurrection chapter of the Bible, the hope of the apostles in the preaching in Acts, the last book of the Bible with its promise that as Christ was raised, so shall we also be. Seal these truths into our hearts, we pray. Let them make a difference for all of us who have trusted Christ. But Lord, there may be some who are not yet uh, convinced of his Easter victory, have not yet uh, yielded the throne of their hearts to him. We pray that Easter hope might become their hope and that you would awaken faith in this amazing gospel. For Jesus' sake we pray, and in his name, and let all his people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.